So you have a pew Bible in front of you, uh, and if you would like to turn in that, uh, it's the ESV version, to page 789 uh, from the Gospel of Mark, as Pastor Jordan said, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Hmm. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressed around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, excuse me, house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Mark. So we're back in the book of Mark together. Been looking forward to this. Mark chapter 5, we finished up our series on heaven, and I enjoyed that as well, and I needed that. I usually preach to you what I need preached to me, all right, what I'm preaching myself, and that series on heaven really was needful. Um, 
couple of announcements before we get started here. We're excited to make these announcements. First of all, last Sunday at our quarterly business meeting, our family meeting, uh, our church voted to uh, take on some new missionaries. Uh, our missionaries, uh, uh, Kyle and Natalie Klein. They, Kyle, many of you remember him. He was an intern here a number of years ago, and uh, God has used him, uh, and now he's going to, they are going to, um, to the Netherlands to work with the Boyds and uh, become faithful to, to God in that, in that realm. It's interesting that just six, seven months ago they started their deputation and now this puts them around 55%. So they're well on their way and we're excited about that. So praise God for a chance to be a part of that, that ministry. And some of you have been kind of saying, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? Well, we got, we got it done, all right? So we're... we're we're taking on another missionary, which has been a, a prayer of ours. The other thing that our church voted on was to take on as an intern for this next year or so, or however long, we'll, we'll see how that long that goes, Jonathan Ryan, as he is stepping into going to seminary online at Faith and back and forth and so forth uh, there in, in Ankeny. And uh, we get to be a part of that training and that, that preparation. And we'll just see what God does with this in in. God using Jonathan um, in the days ahead. So it's a big step of faith, uh, and we're going to encourage him along with that. So praise God for that. Mark chapter 5. Thank you, Mark Hinthorn, for reading the passage. And um, as I come to this passage, again, it's, it's because I have a need, and I'm, and I'm seeing the need. And I trust that, that the Holy Spirit will be working in your life through this passage as well. Lord, would you take these words that you've given to us on this page of the Bible, your word that's truth that we can count on. I pray, God, that we would be listening, have, having ears to hear. So many other distractions, things that make us upset, worried, uptight. Lord, help us to put those aside and to focus truly on who you are and what you've done and what we can count on with your promises and character. So bring us to a a greater understanding of faith in Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are days when the faith that I have takes a beating. And what should be faith really looks a whole lot more like fear. Fear just kind of takes over. I don't know if that's true. I think it's probably true of you as well. But, you know, things that I shouldn't be worried about, I'm all uptight about churning inside fear even standing up here to preach there's fear you know, you've been at this for 40 years you're still yeah my knees still shake you know we need those pulpits you know where you don't see the knees shaking but uh, there's all kinds of fear going around and when fear sets in I start questioning and and I think you know if God is good and powerful why do these bad things happen uh, to me and and to others around me why why is it why is it so hard God and, and it's at those moments, I have to remind myself of what I know is true about God, what He's revealed to me in the Word about His character, His promises, His works, His plan. What I know is true about God. And then what I need to do because of what I know is true about God. That's faith. It's not a matter of whether I have faith. It's about who my faith is in and what I should do with it then. 
who our faith is in. Everybody talks about having faith, but the question is, who is your faith in? And if my faith is in God, am I willing to obey? Remember that old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way. So here in Mark 5, we have two stories that Mark Hinthorne read for us. Uh, two life situations intermingled. And that's, that's out of the ordinary. It's kind of strange that two stories would, would kind of be going back and forth. Starts with one, goes to another, and then comes back to the first. And I think there's a reason for that intermingling. These two, two accounts really do need to be considered together. Even though it's a longer passage than we no, would normally cover, we, we do need to cover it together. Um, at first glance, it would seem there really is no connection between the two, right? Um, one seems to be a rich man. The other is a poor woman. One is very well known. Everybody knows his name. His name is right there, Jairus. The other we don't know the name of, unknown. One has influence as a ruler in the synagogue. The other one has no influence, totally unnoticed. So what's the connection here between these two accounts? As, as we read through the text, I don't know if you noticed this, but, but uh, you know, everybody was paying attention to, to what it was that Jairus was saying. He was very upset. His, his daughter was to the point of death, very near to that. And, and he begs Jesus, he implores Jesus, please, earnestly, he's saying, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Now, Jesus could have just said the word and sent her home and she, he would find her healed. But there's a reason why he asked, would you come and put your hand on her, that she would be healed. In this situation, that's what they chose to do. And so he's making his way, and, and a great crowd is following. Okay, we're going to see a miracle. We're going to be somebody, see somebody raised from the dead. This is going to be, this girl healed, excuse me. And this is going to be wonderful, and everybody's excited about it. And then along the way, there's this woman that nobody notices, but she makes her way in, and she's in the middle of this crowd, and something's going through heart, her heart and mind to give her courage to do something she could not do. In fact, she wasn't allowed to do, and that was be in the middle of this crowd and to touch this rabbi, his robe. And immediately, she's healed, and Jesus sensed that power had gone from him. That's, that's a very interesting observation. And yet God cared for her. Uh-oh, now what? She's called out. And she, she cowers in fear, expecting to be rebuked. Yet Jesus cares for her and says, Your faith has made you whole. Then the word comes that this daughter who had been sick now is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. Now, what would you, if you do if you heard words like that? And that was your daughter. Yet Jesus said, do not fear. Why did he say that? 
and believe. What's that involve? So did you catch the commonality here? What is Jesus highlighting in both accounts? Do you have an idea? It may not really appear to us, but I believe for those that were in this scenario, in this crowd, and they're hearing these words that Jesus spoke, your faith has made you whole, and fear not, only believe. I believe they caught it. To the woman, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. To the rich, influential rabbi, Jesus said, only believe. To this man of the synagogue, only believe. In the New Testament language, what people heard and understood was that Jesus was using the same word, one a noun form, the other a verb form. The noun form is pistos, which is the, 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 the noun meaning have faith, and the verb form is pistuo, it's taking that knowledge that you have and have some action with it, believe, all right? So they heard two words, one was a noun, the other was a verb, but it was the same word, and it was used one in one story, the other in the other event. So here in Mark chapter 5, we're looking at some things that we know and some things that we do. The knowledge of God and the actions we take because of that. Mark 5 verses 21 through 34 show us that Christ intends that we learn of faith and learn to exercise faith. Where we turn the why of doubt and fear to what is God doing and I'm going to join him in that work in obedience. We turn from why is this happening to what is God doing and let me join God in that work. You'll face those moments every day when you're, you're, you're prone to ask why but you move from that to, okay, what is God doing through this and what does God want me to do? And then you do the next right thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So we're turning from why to what? Exercise faith in the one who understands. You're knowing the person. Exercise faith in the one who understands. He knows your need and you can know this, he cares. That's really important to hang on to. This is the truth about God. He cares. And in the person of Jesus Christ, it was very obvious in how he responded to her. He cares. God may deliver you from an illness like she had, or he may not. But however it goes, you can know that God knows and he understands and that he cares. Now the problem is this. The devil is a liar. And from the very beginning, he's the one who is making it go through your head in one way or another. God doesn't care about you. You're all on your own. You have to take care of it yourself. Nobody cares about you. That's a lie. We can cast all our care upon him knowing that he cares for us. Do you know what people who are giving up because no one cares? Yeah, you do. It's everywhere. 
Certainly this poor woman was simply out of any of more options. There were no resources left. By the way, let me just back up here. Do you know people that think that nobody cares? Do you know anybody like that? I'm sure you do. I believe one of the reasons why God has placed Walnut Park Baptist Church in this community for this time is that there are people around us who are in that position. They've given up hope because nobody cares. But because of a way a church family is loving each other and reaching out to them, they can realize that there is one whose name is Jesus who cares. This woman had no resources. She was, there was nobody there to help her. She had run out. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 tells us what she had tried to do. She endured much at the hands of the physicians. She suffered much. <laughs> the doctors didn't help a bit. They'd done nothing for her other than take all her money. She had spent all that she had. And her situation had gone from bad to worse. Couldn't get any worse. Much worse. The first century Galilean Medical Association all they did was take her money. Ever have that experience? Their methods were atrocious. We won't take time right now, but you can do a little research and just think about the methods that they would have tried. to. And they took her money, and it, there was no help to it. And it was just awful. And she was in a bad situation. According to Leviticus 12 and, and Leviticus 15, a woman who was unclean for seven days uh, with this kind of issue had to be isolated. Here, this woman had been unclean for 12 years. 12 years. Not only was this a miserable and quite frankly dangerous condition that she had, she was deemed unclean unfit and shunned what does that mean when unclean defiled woman couldn't go to the synagogue she couldn't go to the temple she was an outcast and this lasted for 12 years if she touched her husband he was unclean if she touched her children they were unclean if she touched a friend that friend was unclean if she touched a stranger that that stranger was unclean so she was shunned from every situation she was not allowed in the crowd she had to be alone. It's awful to be shunned, isn't it? So that made it worse. Not only did she feel bad, but nobody wanted to be around her. However, look at verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Good news had come to her. She had heard the reports. And because of that, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, she wasn't supposed to be there in that crowd. But something about Jesus gave her a desire to demonstrate this faith, to act on what she knew was true about Jesus. To overcome her natural embarrassment and fear of the public shame, she just had to focus on what she knew was true about Jesus. She had heard the reports. So she snuck in. Maybe she had her face covered. I don't know. Um, and she, she was just behind the crowd and, and, uh, up, and she was trying to 
not be seen, but yet she had to get close. And she reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. Many were there. Many were bumping up against Jesus and moving through the crowd. And how would Jesus know that somebody had touched him? Everybody was touching him. Have you ever been in a crowd where it was just so squished in that there's no way you had any private space? I think the most crowded I've ever been is in a subway in New York City at rush hour and trying to get like 25 in our group all on one one train car and uh, subway car and making sure everybody's in but then all these other people were climbing in and you're just squished in there and you can't budge you've seen pictures of that some of you have been there well it wasn't all that dissimilar in this situation the crowd was all rushing in and around it was a tight squeeze down the down the roadway there and this woman sneaks in unnoticed and she touches Jesus the word touch here is actually the idea of grasping hold of you've got to grasp a hold of Jesus she thought and she says to herself in verse 28, if I j- can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll, I'll get well. That was an act of faith. She knew something true about Jesus, and she knew Jesus would receive her. Here's the truth. You can cast your care on Jesus knowing that Jesus cares for you. Somehow she knew Christ's character. I don't know where she got all that information, but she had heard the reports. By the way, that's going to help your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is the report of how God cares. We read in Matthew 12, verses 20 and 21, quoting Isaiah chapter 42, that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. When someone is bruised and battered and broken... The flame is about to go out. He doesn't break that person down further. He doesn't blow out the the wick. He comes to bring rest and strength. He brings hope even to the ones who were shunned, the Gentiles. I love that. That gives me hope. Mark chapter 1, verse 44. He was moved with compassion, with pity. He cares. In Mark chapter 8, verse 2, we read, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitudes. He sees, and his heart is to want to help. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read, He saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion again. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, he was moved with compassion. This is the character of the Lord. Jesus has so much compassion in his heart. There's enough for all who suffer. Now, Jesus deals with it in different ways with each person, but you can know that you can know that Jesus cares. This she knew. So she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. Why? She knew he cared. Somehow in your life, you're going to have to get to the place where you're convinced that Jesus cares for you. Get past the lie of the devil and get to the place where you are convinced, yes, he cares. I can come to Jesus. He won't push me aside. He won't send me on a guilt trip. He does care. And the impressive thing about this story, about this woman with this issue, Jesus said, daughter, he knew her, daughter, your faith has healed you. And immediately the hemorrhage dried up. 
God can do that. God can do that. Number two, exercise faith in the one who is able. There's one who cares, and this one that we look to has the ability to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask, ever ask or think. Exercise faith in the one who is able. God is almighty. That's the attribute of God I'm focusing on here through the month of July. God is almighty. There's nothing too hard for God to do. This means that God can do anything He chooses to do. He is able. God can even raise the dead. He doesn't always do that. In fact, on only a few occasions in in history has that occurred. Yet He is able. Got to come to that conclusion. Got to come to that position of knowledge and belief where you are convinced that God is almighty. He is able. And then the important thing is that you exercise faith in the God who is able, who can do that. He has conquered the grave. He is mighty to save. Thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no more sting of death. So we're implored here to believe. Believe. What does that look like? It's an action. Look at the actions that Jairus took. In verse 22, we see that he worshipped Jesus. He fell at his feet. He worshipped. It wasn't about him anymore. It was about the one who he knew was God. He worshipped the Lord. When we come together, we take time to sing. Why? Because we're moving within our conscience, our awareness, our convictions, our knowledge that it's not about us, it's all about Jesus who deserves our worship. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We have to come to that place where we are convinced He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He fell at His feet. I think that's an act of faith that we move our focus off of our own self and our own centrality, and we realize that there's somebody much more important than me. We worship the Lord. Secondly, I want you to see that Jairus prayed big. He implored him earnestly. Please come take care of my daughter. She's sick. We can pray earnestly there are some things that just seem overwhelming that we don't think we can really pray about but you can pray big and I hope that you will pray those messy prayers that you don't think really have an answer but you keep on praying anyway pray big please there is a God who hears and he is able to do more than you ever imagined pray big in fact, right now, why don't you just, on a piece of paper, there, that handout that you have in front of you, something that comes to mind that just seems impossible, way too big for anyone to help with, that you turn to God, you say, God, would you help with this? Pray big. He did. Now, how will God respond to that? I don't know. He will do as He chooses to do. That's His sovereign care. His ability, His oversight over it all. And it's how we respond to Him, who who He is, that demonstrates our faith. Pray big. 
Well, after he prayed big, then the bad news came in. (laughs) Verse 35, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Then Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. That's a command. That's a present tense imperative. So keep on stopping fearing and keep on believing. Do not fear, only believe. And then third, Jairus obeyed Christ's commands. There was a worship, there was a big prayer, and then there was, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'll obey you anyway. Do not fear this phobia, that's the word that's there, and you have to believe. Pistuo. Remember that fear is not reality. God is. But I want you to want you to see here is that little word only. Do not fear, only believe. The two cannot coexist. They don't go together like oil and water. They don't mix. Fear and believing. You have to have one or the other. So remove the fear and allow only faith. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Here's what I find about, amazing about this event. In spite of the bad news, this dad obeyed what the Lord said. And he stayed with the Lord even when it seemed like there was no hope. He had already gotten the news. His daughter was dead. Even when everyone was laughing at Jesus, I find this astounding. In verse 40, they laughed at him. They laughed laughed at Jesus? Yeah. Get the picture here. They're coming up on the scene. Already word has gotten out that this little girl had passed away. Already the crowd was there. And it was very typical in that culture for them to hire professional weepers. Anybody good at that? You can make money at being a crier. I mean, they, they'd show up, right, and, and they would get paid for making the wailing noises that then helped everybody else get into the mood as well. Now, for us, a, a funeral is a very somber, shh, quiet, don't say anything moment. We don't even know what to say. So we go around and look at all the pretty flowers and we look at the dead person we think, Oh, don't they look so good? No, they don't. Why do we say that? And, uh, but here, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, everything's happening fast. They have to bury this person within just a few hours, and so everybody is just jumping into action, and you got these professional criers here that are weeping and wailing, we read. <laughs> and then Jesus says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And all these weepers and wailers, they know what they're looking at, and they start laughing at Jesus. Now, you're the dad. This is going on. you got this peer pressure of everybody else laughing at Jesus. Yet he remembers what Jesus said. Do not fear, only believe. You're going to have to remember those words again yourself. Do not fear, only believe. I don't know if you're like me, but... When I get bad news, I get fearful. I'm not thinking about what God can do. I can, I'm thinking about what's going wrong. I get fearful. 
As again, I said, this is easier said than done. Do not fear, only believe. Know anybody like that? Everywhere you go, you got people living with that kind of fear. There are a lot of guys that are just got this, what they call them, uh, alpha male, whatever, just, you know, tough and macho and look at me and, they, and everybody's thinking this guy's so strong, he's not afraid of anything. Well, deep down inside, he's afraid of everything. That's why he's so macho. I've been studying a little bit about the concept of one who is a narcissist. What is a narcissist? It's all about them. Well, really, at the core of it, there's a fear. I've got to control everything so nothing goes wrong, and I'm going to tell everybody else what to do. But at the core, it, I mean, just, it's fear. So how do we help? Do not fear, only believe. When you're fearful, do the right next step of drawing near to the Lord. Keep following Jesus. And whatever he tells you to do, just like this, Father, do it. When God tells you to do something, do it. So here are the takeaways. We'll touch on these briefly here and then we'll wrap up. Figure out faith. What is it? I've heard people say we should do away with the word faith because it's so misunderstood in our days. We need to come up with another way of saying it. Well, that's an important Bible word. I'm not going to get rid of it. And, but it's important that we understand it, not get rid of it. But faith really comes down the, to this, where you are dependent. You have a, there's no resource you have of your own. You are totally helplessly leaning on somebody else to help you. That's faith where God steps in and says, I'll take over because you can't. We live by faith, not by our efforts, not by our works, but by faith. We're totally dependent on God to intervene. You've been there, done that every day. Number two, figure out who your faith is in. Get to know the character of the Lord it will strengthen your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's so much in the Word that will strengthen it. The more you're in the Scriptures, the more you understand what God is like. You see how Jesus reveals that and helps, and the plan of God unfolds. The whole Bible is all the story about who Jesus is. You, you find that your faith isn't in circumstances or in your own abilities. You find your faith is in the One who created it all, who is the sustainer, who says, welcome, you're my child, if you'll just simply believe. Figure out the one who your faith is in. And number three, figure out how to deal with your fears. Expose them. A man by the name of Ed Welch, he's been around about as long as I have, so he's an old man now. Sorry, Ed, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus, but I think we're about the same age. Uh, he's, he's the guy that I probably most of, and if you've read a book of his, it's probably the book called uh, When People Are Big and God is Small. Uh, again, dealing with some of these issues. But he wrote, another, he wrote another book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. And then that he argues that our fears expose the deeper idols of our heart. 
So what you want to understand in, in facing your fears, you're looking for the idol that might be getting in the way of your faith. He writes, listen to your fears and you, and you hear them speak about the things that have personal meaning to you. Therefore, instead of minimizing or writing them off or just ignoring them, we must expose our fears, each and every one of them. He says this, that our fears are attached to what we think we need. For example, if we need approval from others, we will fear being criticized. If we, lo- if we need love, our fears, um, we, we fear rejection. Anxiety and worry usually stem from our fears and our perceived needs. When we look at the future and foresee the possibility that we might not receive what we think we need, we begin to worry and be anxious. Yeah. So, what is the solution to our fear, worry, and anxiety? Welch contends, the issue isn't so much whether or not we are afraid and worry. Scripture assumes that we will be afraid and anxious at times. What is important is where we turn or to whom we turn when we are afraid. What do you do with your fear? You turn to Jesus. In other words, the solution to our fear, worry, and anxiety is none other than a person, Jesus Christ himself, who says, I care for you. If we don't find our life and strength in Jesus Christ alone, we will go from one worry to the next. And life becomes consumed with the what-ifs and why me. So, figure out what to do in dealing with your fears. And then last, figure out what your faith should do. Not what your fears lead you to do, but what your faith should do. And that's why we have this little phrase around here, do the next right thing. Let the Scriptures be your guide. What the Word of God says for you to do, do it. Do the next right thing. Commit to know and obey Jesus. Move away from your fear. Only believe, even through the times of deepest despair. And you don't get those answers to those prayers. Keep on looking to the one who knows you. That's the truth. I know he cares, and I know he is able, and I will act in faith, obeying that. Jesus spoke to this woman, to this man, so that he might speak to us the truth that we need for today. You're going to have to battle fear of rejection, of bad news, and the only way to face it is to look to Jesus Christ, who is your one and only answer. That's what the whole Bible is all about, that Jesus Christ is the answer. That's the point of the gospel. We're going to make a mess of things. That's what happened in the Old Testament, and that's what's happened through all of our lives. We make a mess of things in the garden. They sinned. They blew it. But God made a promise that he would send the one and only one who could answer our problem, this anointed one, this Messiah, this Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And Jesus said, believe and you will be saved. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, he made it possible for us to have the answer to that prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus Christ accomplished that on the cross. And he rose from the dead, he conquered sin in the grave, and he is our hope forevermore And we can trust in Him alone. What should your faith do? 
turn to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we live by. Today, tomorrow, each day, live by faith. Lord, I'd ask that you would take this simple passage. May it move within our hearts to do more than just hear something on Sunday. May it move us to walk by faith and not by sight. To move away from our fears and to live in the reality of your truth. And let you be in control as we obey you. Help us to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And in that, Lord, we know that you will take care of us. You will hold us fast. Even when we fear our faith will fail, you will hold us fast. We pray this in Jesus' name.